What's spring like in Park City, Utah? Imagine waking up on a bluebird day to ski the greatest snow on earth at two world-class resorts, Park City Mountain and Deer Valley. Exploring miles of wide open spaces by snowshoe or cross-country skis. Wandering our historic Main Street with its Opry ski scene and award-winning restaurants. When you love it like we love it, Park City, Utah will always be winter's favorite town. Join the experience at visitparkcity.com. The Three Down Greencast is brought to you by the Pile of Bones Brewing Company, Regina's only downtown brewery. Well, it's uh, been a while since John and I got on the old Gabber Gabber here and had a little <laughs> bit of a, a conversation about the old Saskatchewan Rough Riders in the Canadian Football League as we... Uh, it's probably been close to a month as we had the 8N mm-hmm. Nation podcast, thanks to like the four of you that listened to that. That was, uh, that was great, but I was honestly a lot of fun with Haji, and uh, we look forward to doing it again next year. Uh, I'm sure we have a lot of curling takes we could get to, but uh, we'll save that for another day as uh, there's actually some football stuff to talk about. Nothing yeah. earth-shattering, nothing major, other than the usual dunk bomb that has the CFL world talking, so we will get to the ratio in a little bit, but everyone's kind of talked about that a lot, so we'll get to that a little bit, but first, we're going to get into what's... What's kind of broke today on Friday as we're recording this podcast was uh, new rules being suggested to the CFL through the uh, competition committee. And there is one rule change that stands above all the rest that is going to have the nation talking and it is massive and it's going to change the game forever. Mm -hmm. I I couldn't believe this was not like the lead of the story when I saw this rule change. You're absolutely right, Joel. I've read through all the articles on TSN and CTV and and global and everybody on Twitter, I'm surprised there's not such a massive reaction to this rule. As of next year, if a kicked or thrown field goal, football, football, not field goal, hits the field goal post ribbons, the ball is no longer dead. Whoa. Like, that is, can you, that, like, that's, whoa. Mind blown. Just wow. Complete wow. That is, game changer for the CFL. I'm, I'm waiting for... And I can see it now. It's one of those rules, like, as a former official in, in hockey and lacrosse, I, I, I can tell you that every rule comes from something that happened in a game that caused somebody an aneurysm in today's day and age of everybody being overly sensitive, possibly a lawsuit. Um, I would like to know the game that this happened at, where this is relevant. But now that it's a rule, I can just picture it. It's going to be the doubleheader. Friday night football. Going to be in my ditch, drinking a pile of bones beer on my couch in my basement during the summer. What's going to happen is this ball is going to be kicked so elegantly. It's going to get wrapped up in a flag and fall to the ground and into a waiting receiver's arms. And Rod Black will be calling this game and he will go absolutely bananas. Because the man is running out of the end zone. Only be tackled at the 15-yard line. Seems somewhat plausible, but yeah, it's just, I mean, in all seriousness, I, we honestly have no idea where this rule change came from. Between the both of us, we probably watch something like 10,000 football games a year in oh, yeah. all kinds of different levels, and I don't think I've ever seen a football hit one of those little wind ribbons up there. Nope. Um, we were joking before we came on the air um, that, because the thing was it said kicked or thrown. I'm like, man. If a quarterback can hit that thing at the top of the post with his arm, give him a double touchdown. Like, come on, oh. that's impressive. 
that ish is going to be worth 12 points. Like, if you can hit that and it's going to, like... The thing is, too, the logistics of hitting the nylon flag, the light, fluffy nylon flag, at such a degree in which the ball has managed to fall down into somebody's arms without touching the big yellow thing. Like, it's just... The physics of it just seem impossible. Correct. But, like, I, I, to me, I'm like, if you kick the ball that high and that hard... Even if you do manage to get through the the ribbon without hitting anything else, I don't think it's going to land in the end zone. No, it's no, probably that, not unless it's unless it's a game in Guelph and there's like a hundred kilometer hour wind, <laughs> and the ball just gets knocked right down. Then maybe I guess. Yeah, I did, I would. This, and I, this would be a question that I would ask, and everyone would look at me weird if there was a you know a, a conference with the league about this one. Be like, where this rule come from? And right. I would also be like, why do you care? I'm like, because I do. I don't know. I'm weird. And, no, 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 but I, and, I, and so I, the theory, one theory that has been floated around by a friend of the show, Dan Plaster, uh, he thought that it's probably, it must have come up at some coaches' conference. Probably yes. some random high school game in Ontario. It happened, and a coach probably lost his mind. Probably. Hence, hence as I mentioned, most of these come from an aneurysm that one coach had at one point. And it, I almost feel like, though, as I've, I've been in the room for officials' courses, uh, I used to go... Uh, even when I was doing play-by-play for football, I'd, I'd stop by mostly for the beer and a couple buddies, really good buddies of mine are football officials. But, like, the most obscure situations come up in those refing conferences, and I feel like this was birthed from this. Like, a fun fact, did you know if a ball ever hits an official, the official is essentially a piece of the ground, piece of the turf? Yeah, that, that makes sense. Exactly. That so makes sense, yeah, that makes somebody sense. Punts, somebody punts it, it goes off the official, and an onside receiver recovers it, it's just like it hit the ground and had some crazy backspin. Hmm. So, you've learned something today. Note to, sell, philosophy... note to special team coordinators everywhere. Exactly, and I've learned something <laughs> today. And when I have taught you something or I have learned something today, that means I can drink for that day with reason. Like you need a reason. That's fair. I always have a reason. I'm in the car business. Yeah, so uh, you kind of alluded to it, John. Uh, we will get into uh, the actual rule changes that matter <laughs> yes. after this. Uh, we will talk about the ratio a little bit and uh, maybe a couple stories about some uh, riders who surprisingly retired, only surprisingly in the fact that we thought they were already retired. Uh, right. Retired. And there's, uh, I think there's a little bit of other stuff going on with uh, some of those moves as well. But uh, we'll get into all that a little bit later. But first, uh, John, what's in the glass this week? Can I just call it heaven in a glass? You can. can, can you can do whatever you want. I, I don't control you. No, no, that's fair. Um, full disclosure, one of my favorite beers since I was ever introduced to it is the Pile of Bones White IPA. In fact, I believe I drank all of them at your wedding. You had them hidden behind the bar for the loud guy that was doing the MC work. So for that, gracias. Um, I had a chance. You recommended the Rebellion Hazy IPA to me. And I knew it was going to be good, A, because you've never led me astray, but B, I walked into my local liquor store, walked into the beer cooler, and they hadn't even taken the time to unpack it. They had just put it in flats in the middle of the beer cooler with a, it cost this much sign on it. So I grabbed it. I sent you a quick photo. I'm like, hey, look what I bought. I believe eight minutes later, as it first touched my lips, I went, holy crap, this is the new beer of the summer. Spring, fall, whenever. I'm having my very last, because there is scarcity in this province, Rebellion Hazy IPA. It is fantastic. If you enjoy the Pile of Bones White IPA, like I do, I love it. In fact, 
I'm going to go get myself some more tomorrow. Didn't have some time to do it tonight because Rebellion Hazy IPA is hard to find in the province. Highly recommended. It is just, it's, it's fantastic. Yeah, just uh, super juicy, really easy to drink. Don't be scared by the term IPA if you don't like IPAs. It's not really hoppy at all. Um, but yeah, it is incredibly hard to find right now. Uh, Rebellion put out a post the other day saying that it is their fastest selling beer ever. There are people buying it that don't generally drink craft beer or IPAs. That's that's really how popular this thing has been. Um, there may or may not be more coming at some point, but I know Rebellion has a few other things up their sleeves for the summer. Uh, for me, I've uh, sworn off dark beers for the next while as uh, I went a little crazy over the last over the winter with how bloody cold and disgusting it was. Minus 50 does scream dark beers. I can't blame you. Yeah, and uh, so when I was at the old Pile of Bones Brewery this week, I picked myself up a six-pack of the old standby Cranberry Kettle Sour. It's been a while, my friend, and Ooh. it's uh, I've been craving one all week, and I finally had one the other day, and I was like, yep, this is the stuff. This is what I've been missing in my life for the last three months. That, that that's also a good one and back to another your wedding story i remember at uh, jenny's mom and dad's house definitely drinking as many as you guys could put out yeah well, we didn't put as much of a dent in that as i thought we did but it was it was still that, a good outcome yeah i i tried i single-handedly tried my friend i know you did i know you did we, we will always <laughs> applaud for that one <laughs> yeah. uh, speaking of trying you might have to uh try not to get a penalty in the cfl this year Ooh. as um some pretty significant rule changes are coming to the league this year, and for the most part, well, they're just need to be approved by the higher-ups, and we assume mm-hmm. they will be. Rarely do they say no to what the competition committee suggests. So what is going to happen here is a lot of stuff that should have been in place, a lot of stuff we talked about on this podcast last year mm-hmm. is a thing that should have happened, and a lot of people across the league are talking about should have been happening and probably should have been changed partway through last year, quite frankly. But mm-hmm. they got there nonetheless, and so, in a nutshell, the important part of what's going to change is that the command center could finally call roughing the passer. Yes. And I believe they can call more on spearing as well, basically leading with the crown of your helmet. Yes. And the really int- so all that's cool. That's what they should be doing, and especially the roughing the passer ones, which seemed like the most obvious decision, but they got yeah. there. The interesting part, and this is where the CFL, again, might be a bit of a leader in certain categories is they've essentially adopted a basketball model now for some fouls where you will have the 15-yard penalty and then it can go to review and they can basically decide in terms of basketball terms if it's a flagrant foul and they will tack on another 10 yards and make it a 25-yard penalty, which is basically right now unheard of in football. But considering what's at stake, I think this is a really good rule change because there needed to be more incentive to make or more disincentive for the defenders to not put themselves in these positions. Yeah, no, I would I would agree wholeheartedly. I I, I think the ability and, and you mentioned it is very much a basketball thing to to rule between a flagrant one, flagrant two. Um, I love this rule. I think especially when you're able to watch it from the command center, you get lots of different angles at it. You can tell whether a dangerous roughing the passer call is just one of incidental contact a guy gets open maybe hit somebody up high because they flinch they duck you're hit a weird way you're pushed a weird way yeah that's going to be your 15 yarder that will continue to be that or you can tell when somebody is out there with the intent to knock somebody's head off and, and penalize them even more in a way and and on top of that too much like the basketball rules if you get two 25 yarders in a game you're done you're out you're ejected so 
it's a big one for player safety. It's a big one for those guys that are out trying to headhunt, get vengeance, maybe knock a player out specifically for the game. Uh, I'm a big fan. I am a big fan of the command center getting more power. I mean, the game is faster than ever before, quicker than ever before. The athletes are better than ever before. And the fact that you can have a guy that sees every angle that goes to TSN sitting in a command center in high definition, able to really see what truly happened, I think it's an advantage to take advantage of that, right? I mean, let's face it. Nobody, like, there's no benefit to have a guy sit in this room with all these monitors to tell who jumped offside first. It should be used for the purposes that is now starting to be used for now. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that, and this is one of those ones that's easy to call. This isn't pass interference. This isn't so much of a judgment yes. call. It's pretty black and white, especially the way it's written out in terms of basically in law, as long as a quarterback doesn't lead his head into it, they're going to call this thing. So yeah. Yeah, I, I think it, it just makes all the sense in the world. They deserve credit for getting there. They probably should have got there sooner, but the league got there. They're getting this right. And it will be interesting to me to watch the 25-yard thing to see how there probably be, there will be a little bit of a gray zone for that, I'm sure, at first, as they kind of try and figure out when and where this really should apply. And is that enough to you know to motivate a defender to be better in terms of his tackling technique in those situations? I don't know. I still think there is merit to the NCAA rule where you do it once and you're gone. I think yeah. there, I think there is some merit to that, but. There, this is a this is a good step toward that maybe, and they'll see what happens and see maybe this does work. I don't know, but yeah, if, if you do it twice and you get fifty yards worth of penalties, I think a coach is probably going to staple you to the bench <laughs> anyway. So you yeah. might as well just be ejected from the game. It, it, exactly. The other thing I like too that I found interesting, and especially in the way that the articles and the release from the CFO was written, saying that they've gone, they've reinstated the second challenge. Yes. Based on what Randy Ambrosi, the feedback he got from the fan form, uh, the fan, his cross-country tour and all that. Now, that might be some some cool PR spin, but uh, I am on board with this, bringing back the second challenge. I know it led to a lot of I, – I think maybe the coach has got a collective slap in the wrist from this, that old uh, desperation – Oh, I'm going to throw it out here and see if something happened play. I, I think you run into a bit of a risk of, of that happening again, but I think all the coaches yeah. quickly realized if we do this, it's going to be taken away from us again. So I, I am a fan of it uh, because, again, just the human element of football calls are going to be missed. Calls are going to be missed in any sport. I like the ability to, you know, you're not not challenging something in the first half with the fear that you may need it for something relevant in the second half, right? So yeah. I do like that the second challenge is coming back. I mean, well, it, I, it's I, back I, with a caveat, right? And I think that's the important yes. part here is, and this is the way it should have been from the start when they removed it was you get one. If you're right, you get another. Yeah. And so, no, cause I, if you just gave them two straight up again, they would be going back to the fishing expeditions for sure. Now yes. you can still do that if you really want, but you're risking not having it later. So there's a little bit more strategy to using it. And then if you do have to use it in the first half for say, a missed pass interference call that was pretty blatant or a missed roughing the passer call that was pretty blatant, then you're not punished for having to correct something that was so blatantly obvious in the first place. Well, and, and that's exactly it. I think this was, the, as I mentioned, this was the coach's slap in the wrist to not do it. I still think you're going to see 
maybe with two minutes left in the game, you're gonna you you're gonna get challenge. you're gonna get that then anyway because in the exactly. three minute warning you can't use it anyway for pretty much anything except pass interference. So at that point in the game with the game on the line, you're always gonna get those fishing expeditions. You get it in every yeah. sport. That's there's nothing you could do about it at that. But at least at that point, you haven't dragged on the game for an extra hour because there's already four challenges. Yeah, you haven't you haven't <laughs> you, you haven't made poor Bob Irving mention the Manitoba Teachers Union over and over and over again uh, because the replays are brought to you by the Manitoba Teachers Union. Uh, yes, I listen to a lot of Bombers games on CJOB. Yeah, and the, the other I guess little interesting little tidbit of uh, player safety now is basically the quarterback can go down in any which way or form without getting tackled, yep. and he's giving himself up. That's also another smart move. So we'll see where that goes. And uh, spearing rules are basically the same as roughing the quarterback now. Um, so again, I think this is the right call. You shouldn't be leading with the crown of your helmet and anywhere that happens, that should be a penalty. So all of this makes sense. And, uh, we'll have to see exactly how it plays out. I assume all of this is probably going to be passed, but it should all be for the better. I know there are people out there, mostly Gerald Davis who don't like, you know, extra replay, but I think in this case, stuff like this is, these are pretty black and white calls that are pretty easy to get right. I don't think that there's quite as much judgment involved in whether a guy hit a quarterback in the head or not. It's usually pretty yeah. straightforward, right? So yeah. I don't see the harm in adding these ones. It shouldn't take too long. And frankly, if their command center is more on top of it, or if the video replay official, who, in my opinion, should still be in the stadium during the game. But yes. anyway, um, that didn't seem like that was a change that was going to be made. But regardless, that's, that's where they're at right now. So my question to you, John, is... Mm-hmm. We've seen the rules they did change. If you could change one rule in the CFL right now that hasn't changed, what would it be? Oh, jeez. Sorry, I just um, kind of threw this on you. We didn't talk about this yeah, before. Yeah, we did, <laughs> we did not talk about this one bit, so you definitely did throw it on me. Okay, I know what I want to see changed. We already mentioned it, that if you touch the nylon, the ball is live. I would really love to see the ball goes off a goalpost and remains live. Could you imagine if a ball goes off a goalpost and somebody runs and grabs it and guys kind of let up and all of a sudden you have a guy booting it down 100 yards down the field because the ball took a really weird kick, you scooped up in the end zone and went. Or how about this? How about this, Joel? Goes off the goalpost, is starting to come towards the center bar on like a short field goal or PAT, Somebody runs up and Superman dunks it over the bar, and it counts. Can we make that a thing? Uh, a thing? Probably not. Okay. I'll be completely okay. honest with you. That probably would uh, would never be a thing. As no, fun no, as no. as fun as that would be, uh, I don't imagine the CFL would be going for that anytime soon. But it would be so much fun. Or. You get a second football and you throw it in your pants and try to hit the football in the football in the air and put it through the goal line. Anyway, for me, if um, <laughs> if I were allowed to change a rule in the CFL, I would tweak the rouge rules a little bit. I'm okay. not I'm not anti I'm not anti rouge. I think the rouge is great. There's a lot of great you, strategy to the rouge. You better not be. If you were anti rouge, yeah. we'd be done. That'd be it. That'd be over. That'd the be rouge the is great. And one of my biggest pet peeves is announcers and reporters and broadcasters who call it the single instead of the rouge. It's the rouge. Right. Please call it the rouge. Yes. And Chris Cuthbert, I think, is the only one I know who regularly calls it the rouge. That's so, why he is the best. Exactly. Please call it the rouge from now on. Um, for me, but there is a point to me where I don't think it should count. And we were talking mm-hmm. about this a little bit in the three down group chat today with uh, Ryan Ballantyne and myself. 
Okay. Where basically he thought it should apply to field goals and punts. To me, it's probably just like I, I think on a missed field goal, the ball should have, should have to concede the point. If you kick the field goal and you miss and it goes out the end zone, why should you still get a point for that? Right. That's that's the tweak I would make. Oh. If you miss a field goal and it goes out of bounds, zero. If you miss a field goal and it lands in the end zone and the team concedes it, then one. No, I. you know what? I never once thought I would offer to change the Rouge rules, but I couldn't agree with you more on this. Because if a guy misses from with today's kicker anywhere from 30 yards in by default at the speed they're kicking these things at, it's probably making it out the back of the end zone. Unless it hits the ribbon, of course, of, of course, and, <laughs> and somehow falls into somebody's hands, but you're absolutely right. I, I think you're, you, you, wow. I, my mind is like, you're right a lot. Again, let's look back at some of my cold takes, especially the Johnny Manziel one. Um, that really worked out. Um, but this might be the most right you've ever been. Wow. Yeah, yeah. No, I, it is blowing my mind how much I agree with this. And and as soon as you said, like, ruse changes, I got all, like, my backup. I got, like, ready to yell at you. And I went, huh. That makes a lot of sense. And now, I'm very Ryan believes it should apply to punts, too. But I don't, like, I, you could probably put it to that. But at the same time, there aren't a whole lot of punts that roll out of the end zone anyway. No. It, so it's no, not really, it, to me, it's not really a huge deal on the punt <laughs> side of things. No, and, and and to me, it, it it forces your punt returner in the end zone into a strategic decision, right? Yeah. Do you run out, risk having terrible field position, or do you give up the single point, which at the end of the game can come back and bite you? So I'm with you. Well, you, I, still I can, think... you could still concede in the end zone and give up one, just if it, you kicked like right out of bounds, it would be zero. I'm like, eh, I don't know about that. Uh, yeah, you you just you just happen to never see those, right? Yeah. I mean, somebody realistically even some of the biggest punts in in football are you know 50 60 yards yeah which basically means you're punting from the 30 yeah which just doesn't happen right so no i mean if you want to put the rule in i feel like it's much like the ribbon rule it's something that would never happen you'd never have somebody truly punt it through the end zone unless you're wally buono in overtime of a game <laughs> for some <laughs> random reason one day but uh no, I, 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 I'm with you. I, I really like that change. I am I am surprised as a Rouge traditionalist how much I enjoy that change. Yeah, and uh, another tradition of the CFL has been the ratio, and it's certainly been in the news a lot this week after uh, Three Down Nation's Justin Dunk dropped the news that uh, the league and the PA both seem to be in favor, at least a little bit, in terms of dropping the number of starting Canadians from 7 to 5. Mm. And this has got all kinds of people across the CFL talking, not surprisingly, because those of us that, you know, the really hardcore fans of the CFL really pay a lot of attention to a lot of things about the CFL. And the mm -hmm. ratio is one of the cool little things where if you get it, you figure it out and you it really makes roster building in the CFL far more interesting than any other sport as far as I'm concerned, just because yes. of the different caveats and the way you have to look at a roster. And it's, you know, it's, just, it's cool. It's fun because of that. And so now there are people on both sides of the fence in terms of, well, should it be seven? Should it be five? Should it be six? Should it be more? Should it be even less? And it's just, it's taken off. I think, I think even more than any of us probably would have expected. We knew it would be a big story, but we're going on like over a week now and people are still talking about this thing. Yeah. <laughs> and you're absolutely right. And I have been firmly in the reduce the ratio of starters camp 
um, with with some caveats. And I say I'm on board with it dropping all the way to five with some asterisks beside it. Um, as as much as our our good friend friend of the program, John Hodge did, a, did an excellent job of outlining the reasons to keep it. Um, I'm very much on board with this. I think dropping to five Canadian starters is going to be better for the quality of play in the league. Um, but with, again, as I mentioned, just just don't say, okay, you can universally only start five Canadians. I think you need some things like, I would like to see um, if you draft to five, which I would like, I want to see position limits, okay? I want to see a team start no more than two offensive linemen. Because as great as it is for this country to see guys like Brendan Labatt out there, Dan Clark playing offensive line. I would hate to see the ratio drop to five. And all of a sudden you have a team like the Montreal Alouettes of the Anthony Calvillo era go with five Canadians at offensive line. Or the 2013 Riders who had four. Exactly. I, I don't, I don't think that benefits. And I love watching old linemen. I love hoggies. They're my favorite guys to hang out with on any football team. But for TV numbers and for the fans growing the game, getting into it, it doesn't benefit the growth of the game. So if you want to drop the five, I would like to see, okay, you cannot start more than two alignment, which means your skill positions, the positions that get all the TV play, all, all the talk from the announcers, the debates on the panel. I'd love to see them say, all right, you can't start more than two at wide out. You can't start more than two at O line. And they got to find a way to fit the guys in there, right? Um, and that would still allow a guy like Andrew Harris to be a, a ratio breaker, per se, or Muwamba at, at, at uh, middle linebacker, or what we're hoping you know, Cam Judge can become this season, right? While still integrating the best players possible out there. Um, I do think the CFL has proven again through this summer with the, uh, with the gong show that has become the AAF, and the upcoming gong show that will be the XFL, that, you know, we can still attract the best talent. But the other the other asterisk I'd want to see is, A, Canadian quarterbacks should count towards not your starter count, but towards your total, uh, your total national count. And I've always been a fan of looking at the rosters. I think scratching guys on a game day is the stupidest thing you can do. Mm-hmm. You're literally still paying the guy. You're still flying him out there. You're still putting him in a hotel. You're still having him sit someplace in the stadium, eating some popcorn and enjoying the game. Why the hell don't you throw him on the field? I would love to see the rosters expand to 48, maybe even 50, and still keep you know a majority of that being Canadians, even though you only have five starters. You know, I would like to see... On a 50-man roster, 22 Canadians, including your third-string quarterback, right? That gives you half your team's Canadian. They might be playing on special teams. They might be backups, but I don't think I, – I think it's seven what the league is doing. I think in some cases you are forcing guys to be starters that aren't there yet. And if they were good enough, they'd be there with a Canadian backup, right? I just – I think you watch some O-lines around the league that have decided, okay, three of our offensive line are going to be Canadian. Not going to name names, but there are times that guys start in this league 
that are named Josiah St. John that shouldn't be starting in this league. And you're exposing your quarterbacks. You're bringing down the level of play because all of a sudden you have a guy out there that is only out there because of his passport. Shouldn't be out there and has not properly developed. But you need a guy out there that is getting blown by by American defensive linemen that have spent time in the NFL and are and the quarterbacks are getting absolutely destroyed because they don't have proper protection. And that is the big reason why I am a fan of going to five with a couple if you go to five, but you got to do these things. See, I'm, I'm still not really sure where exactly I sit on this. I, to me, I think five is still too low. I, I still think Canadians are a very important part of the CFL, Agreed. and and one and for me one part of it that always stood out was and I made the point right away when this report came out was that the best teams always have more than seven starting Canadians anyway. Mm-hmm. It is a badge that every general manager in this league should want to wear is the fact mm-hmm. that you can find and develop proper Canadian depth. I remember in 2013. You know, whether they were all truly starting talent that year or not is up for debate. But you go through the list of riders, if they really had to or really wanted to, I believe probably could have started like 10, 11 Canadians that year. Absolutely. And so, whether no matter how many you starters at the team, whatever you set the ratio at, the teams that are going to be better will always be able to start more than that. So, mm-hmm. saying that, I think a little bit of a reduction right now, especially if they're going to get a 10th team in this league, isn't necessarily the worst thing. I would go to mm-hmm. 6 at the lowest. Because um, then you you get 6 on 10 teams. That's 60. That's at least more starters than there is now. That's an argument you can present to the PA. Yes. Um, but I, I just don't know. It's tough. I, like, I see both sides of it. I see the Patriots, the, you know, the kind of the patriotic side of this. Then I think the average, you know, then Justin and... Uh, Drew argued about this point a lot on their podcast this week. If you haven't listened to it yet on the Three Down Nation podcast, do. Uh, they go into great depth and detail on both sides of this. I think you know who's on what side here for this, especially with Dunk's love of Canadians. Um, yes. <laughs> and they both make really good points. And I, I still, I'm just, I'm not 100% sold on lowering it below six. I'm fine with them even keeping it at seven because I think, mm-hmm. I think the depth of Canadians playing the sport is getting better than ever. Yes, I think, and you're seeing, you know, you're seeing Canadians make the NBA, and there's no, you know, roster rules there or anything. So I think, yep. I think the future of the game is there, and I think the league needs to invest even more in making sure that they can f- properly fill all seven starting spots and 21 roster spots. Yeah, and I think that's the way to do this, rather than giving in and saying no, what is, we'll just have fewer Canadians starting, and and. So I think six works. Six is a decent number for me because it's not going to keep skilled players off the field. It's mm-hmm. going to take, you know, that it's going to take that Zed receiver off the field that maybe all he does is block. Yeah, you know, right. like that seventh and right. then and then it gives you a little bit more depth because the issues you generally come across with Kenny and depth are when there's suddenly a few injuries. And then yes. that's when you have guys and that's when you have, you know, John Fraser lining up at fullback and starting oh every down because they have no other Canadians, right? That's not good. That is, that is, ooh, that is not good <laughs> having me out there. So to me, that's, I, so I get, I see both sides of it. I get reducing it, but I'm also in favor of keeping it where it is. But I, I think six might be a good compromise through all this. I don't really know how it's going to play out. Maybe this is a lot of smoke about nothing because really at the end of the day, all this really is 
is the CFL leaking something to me is what it seems like. It seems like a lot of people, the league's leaking something to get the union fighting and it worked. Oh, you're absolutely right. Just go on Twitter for five seconds and watch CFL players that are supposed to be collective in this bargaining, just tee off on each other. Right. Um, the league or the leak here absolutely exposed the divide in the CFL between Canadian and American players. I I'm with you tinfoil hat. That is exactly what they were trying to do. Now, what I would like to see, and there was some talk and there's been some incredibly stupid takes, just some terrible, terrible takes worse than some of my takes about making like the CFL 2.0. You have to have five guys on a roster when let's face it, every scout left every international combine going, yeah, there's two guys who might make it to camp out of these things. Um, I would love to see the, the status of non-imports reinstated mostly because I freaking hate the term national. It's terrible. Um, I would love to see essentially a reenactment of the Josh Bartel rule here with CFL 2.0. Like, if you are a guy that never played a down of NC2A, never played a down in NFL football, you've been playing in the Mexican League, the Italian League, any other of these leagues that are anywhere in the world, you can count towards one of the 21, out of one of the 21 roster spots to be classified as a non-import, which still gives teams an advantage for going out to try to find these guys, but doesn't hamstring them with some of these terrible takes that, you know, 10 starters should be from Mexico or something like that, right? While we're on the topic of rosters and yep. ratios and things like that, I just, I, I, I think that's one change that, and there's been some egregiously bad hot takes on this, and I'm trying not to lump myself into those because I'm clearly the terrible take king. Yeah, and with the CFL 2.0, the global roster spots that they're trying to figure out, and to me, they're just they're overthinking it so much. And you, yes. you you reference the one that Dave Naylor suggested, where he said you should have, you know, basically reduce the num the the minimum number of Canadians on your roster to 15. Then you'd have this weird like gray zone where they'll probably be filled out with Canadians anyway, but you could yeah. put your global players into that. I'm like, whoa, no, this, this isn't complicated, folks. This is easy. And I hate the word folks, and I just used it, but this is how weird this whole thing is that we're overthinking it. Like, and Josh Smith wrote the piece like a week after the Mexican Combine and all this stuff started. They're called internationals. That's what the name of the non-Canadian players are. If they are good enough to play, then let them be an international on the roster. There's just way too much thinking about this. I get that they want to, you know, expand the reach globally, and I'm, I'm all for that, and I think there's great stuff to be had there, but they shouldn't be doing it at the expense of the Canadians in the Canadian Football League. Now, if you want to expand the roster, and Sam, we already hinted at this a little bit, which they should probably be doing anyway. Yes. So if, we, if they took your 50-man roster and expanded to 52 and gave two spots to the global players or two practice roster spots to the global players, fine. Yes. As long as the number of Canadians remains the same. I'm fine with expanding the rosters to include these guys, but don't be taking away jobs from people that are already in this league because you want to do this. That's just, They're just thinking way too hard about this. There's two options. Make them internationals or expand the rosters. Yeah, yeah, but I, I still think that if, like, I think if a guy is good enough, it's going to be hard for a player 
born and raised in a country that's not a football haven, like the States or us, to take a spot from an American an American player and, and even in most cases a Canadian player. But I do think you can find those guys to fill the niche. And again, I cite Josh Bartell. For the longest time, he was considered a Canadian because he played Aussie rules football. He came up here. And there was really one Josh Bartell out of the entire league. So I don't think any of these guys will rise to prominence enough to go ahead and start taking a whole pile of jobs from Canadians. But there needs to be some advantage to somebody to have them on the roster to, again, go back to the article that our friend John Hodge wrote to develop these guys bring them over they show flashes in the mexican league the italian league whatever bring them over train them turn them into something and i think the time that needs to be invested you should be rewarded for that for good scouting good drafting good development so i don't think you're going to see a deluge of players and i don't think there should be a mandatory roster spot i think the simple solution is just hey let them be classified as a non-American player or just hell go to internationals and Americans or something then. Right. Like I, I, I think if you want to truly expand the game, these countries need to see their guys in uniform playing on the field. They need to see, even if he's just chugging down the field and tackling guys on specials, I think if you expect anybody to put eyeballs onto your league in your new broadcast deal in Mexico, you need to know that there was a guy that just played for one of the teams down there, at least on the field in the CFL. And I don't think those guys are good enough to truly take a job away right now from a starting Canadian or American. So I would like to see the Josh Bartell rule reinstated and, and give teams I, and again, I'm not sitting here saying we should take jobs away from Canadians, which in a roundabout way, I, I guess I am. But yeah, you, you still are, basically. I, I know, I still am, but I think you need to incentivize teams to draft and develop these guys the same way that they draft and develop Canadians. As our friend, again, as Haji put it so eloquently, you can grab you could grab an NFL cast off to fill almost any position on the CFL roster today. Except quarterback, because, you know, we saw how that works out. But there needs to be that incentive to take that guy under your wing, put him on the practice roster, turn him into something. And, and, I, and that's my take. But I, again, I only want to see that if the rosters are expanded. Yeah. I don't I, think you, I don't think you touch it right now at the roster, the current state they are. I don't think you need designated international spots. I think you need bigger rosters and incentive to put these guys on there. Yeah. I, I, th- I think that's fair. That's a fair point at the end, but it all comes down to expanding the rosters and making sure that they're taking care of their own, the guys that are already here first, yes. and then figuring yeah. out how this works later without overcomplicating it. Because, they're, they're, again, maybe the league isn't. We don't know. These are just ideas that people are floating out there as to what they should do, and some of them are just so crazy. They're just like, really? This is the idea you came up with? Yeah, <laughs> right? Thank you. Oh, my goodness. There has been some bad takes out there. Yeah, and so we're going to wrap up now with uh, a little bit of a story time. As, uh, yeah, a couple of riders uh, signed one-day contracts, and we're not getting to get into the merit of such contracts uh, at this point in time, because what's done is done. But uh, Tristan Jackson and Macho Harris deciding to officially call it a career, mm-hmm. even though neither of them have played since 2017. It's true. <laughs> so Still confused me. So I, I was care. like, it's, okay. It feels good. Yeah. 
And the one that especially surprised me was uh, Mr. Macho Harris because uh, I've been playing dodgeball against him a little bit for the last little while. So the fact that he was kind of putting himself through that told to me that, yeah, I guess uh, I guess his career's done. Now, now, I have to ask, as a man that watched a lot of Macho Harris, enjoyed watching him, great tackler. Does he ever catch the dodgeball when you throw it at him? He was not so much known for the interceptions. Oh, he's, he's easily, like, was easily the top athlete on the court. Like, it's not even close when you get a bunch of average slobs like me out there playing this game. And I fancy myself a pretty decent dodgeballer, but he is just, because he's so naturally athletic, it's just on another level. So it's it's difficult, and he's he's very good, and he does actually catch a lot of balls, and yes, he, he struggled with a lot of things in the CFL at times. Um, I had to bite my tongue really hard the very first time we played him. <laughs> And I think this is early on when he started playing because yeah. he jumped up to try to make a catch and dropped it. <laughs> and I was like, ah, don't say anything. He remembers who you are. Don't say anything. Don't say anything. <laughs> so and I'm not too worried that he's going to be listening to this. So that's, that's but if fine. he, if he does and he responds, I'm driving down to Regina. I'm getting about a four pack of pile of bones, white IPA. I'm sitting and watching Macho Harris just absolutely beam you in the brain <laughs> with dodgeballs. I will scrape you off the floor and carry you home, Joel, just because I'm a good friend.